You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and happy Thanksgiving from Domecast. This is Jordan Schrader hosting this week, and with me are Will Doran, Colin Campbell, and Lauren Horsch. Uh, We have a session coming up next week, and uh, Colin, what do you think is going to, we're going to see out of the lawmakers in this post-Thanksgiving lame duck session? Well, the first thing on their agenda is Hurricane Florence relief. Um, We haven't seen a whole lot of details on what needs to be in sort of the second round package. Obviously, the legislature uh, put some money towards that back in October, not long after the storm hit, uh, but there's been more damage assessments since and more of a sense for uh, what the feds are going to pay for, what the state needs to pay for. So that'll happen. That may be relatively non-controversial. Um, but then the big thing on the agenda will be the constitutional amendments that pass. They have to write legislation to uh, establish exactly how those they're going to work once they're um, put into law. And I think the really controversial aspect of that is just going to be on voter ID, uh, the question of what types of ID do you allow, um, we've been told by legislative leaders that it will be at least the same list as was under the 2013 law. Uh, there's some discussion as to whether college IDs will be allowed, um, which is obviously uh, something that would make it a little bit easier for students to vote, particularly out-of-state students who may not have North Carolina driver's licenses. Um, and then there's also the issue of is there some sort of waiver component for somebody who shows up to the polls and maybe their wallet got stolen yesterday and they haven't gotten a new ID yet uh, or they just have some sort of impediment to being able to get an ID at all. Uh, Is there a form to fill out? That was something that was under the old voter ID law, but only after there was a lawsuit into that. So uh, some question about whether that will be in there or not. Um, And then, of course, there's, uh, in addition to constitutional amendments, there's the wild card of, hey, this is the last uh, lame duck session for the Republican supermajority. So if there's anything uh, on the GOP to-do list that they might not get passed, uh, if Cooper has the ability to veto, uh, they may try to get this in now. But we haven't heard uh, any comments one way or the other um, about exactly what will happen with that. Um, I have heard some discussion that there may be some action involving the elections board. Obviously, the uh, constitutional amendment Uh, dealing with the elections board did not pass, but the current version of the elections board um, kind of turns into a pumpkin on December, sometime in the first week of December, uh, because courts have struck it down uh, in its current form. Uh, It it was allowed to operate through the election, so there wouldn't be chaos with the election. But at some point um, in the next month, uh, we need to have a different sort of board, a different law in place in order to comply with the court ruling. So that may happen during this session. Do we keep seeing uh, court rulings related to gerrymandering? Do they have to draw any districts in this election? Not yet. Um, that's likely to happen uh, probably sometime next year, uh, depending on how um, some of the court cases plan out. Obviously, the um, current districts have been struck down, um, and there's going to be a need to withdraw them, redraw them, particularly in Wake County. Um, but the current districts were allowed to be used for this past election because it was so close to that timing. Uh, so I think the deadlines set by the court take them into uh, next year to some degree. Yeah, we know that, it, like you were saying, Colin, at least for the, the state legislature, there's just those, I think it's four different districts in Wake County that have to be redrawn. And um, I wrote that article when that happened, so I should know the exact date off the top of my head. I think it was July of 2019 was the deadline that the legislature has to redraw those. So basically the end of 
you know, the, the next Yeah, sometime during the session, budget. I'll get around to it. Um, and then there's also the question of the congressional lines. Obviously, uh, you know, the lines that we used to elect our 13 members of the U.S. House were ruled unconstitutional shortly before the 2018 midterms. They were allowed to stay in place for those midterms because it was a little too soon, you know, to, for the judges to order them to be redrawn. Um, that's probably going to go to the Supreme Court because that was just a court of appeals case overruling them. So... Uh, depending on how the Supreme Court rules on that, we could also see those lines being redrawn next year as well. And the governor doesn't have a role in all that, so that's not quite as urgent, I guess, for uh, um, the veto-proof majority, super super majority to deal with. Right. Um, Lauren, um, Colin mentioned Hurricane Florence relief. Um, you had covered a, a meeting where they talked about some of what they need to do. Um, what's on the agenda for Hurricane Florence relief, and uh, why are they talking about uh, lost boats? <laughs> Well, so when a hurricane comes in, there's some people don't get their boats out of the water. And because of that, you get boats thrown all which way. So you saw when President Trump came to visit North Carolina right in the immediate aftermath of Hurricane Florence, he was in New Bern and he saw this boat in a man's yard. And he said, is this your boat? And the man said, no, it's not my boat, President. He's like, well, how did it get here? It's just here. Um, I'm, that's not verbatim. Did not quote President Trump verbatim there. But um, that's a story that happened all across the coast. Um, and now we're finding out that the state can't go and just take those boats and bring them somewhere for their owners to come claim them for a couple of reasons. One being that we don't have um, a certain designation from the Coast Guard. So right now we are what's called an EF-10. And so that means that a contractor or anyone can come in and bring up these boats if, if they've been sunk. So if a boat has been sunk, you have to bring it up, remove all the hazardous material, whether that be batteries, fuel, what have you, flares, etc. So you bring it up, take off the hazardous materials, and then resync the ship. You heard me correctly, you resync the <laughs> ship. This is not a joke, you guys. Um, so if we had a different designation, I do believe in ESF-3, we'd be able to go ahead and... Um, you know, deal with that a little bit more. We'd have some more funding to kind of figure out, okay, where do we find these boats? And an added problem here is that a lot of the registration numbers on the boats are bogus because sometimes boats are passed down to people and you don't really re-register. It's not like necessarily regulated as the DMV does with your car registration, that sort of thing. So the, the contractor with the state came and you know, told lawmakers about this and uh, Representative Pat McElrath, who represents Carteret County, actually, she called this crazy. She's like, are you serious? We we do this. We bring up boats, clean them off, and then just leave them be. We do. Uh, so they're, they're trying to figure out how to deal with that. One of the suggestions was um, requiring boat owners to have some sort of liability insurance. That way, say their boat does shipwreck after a hurricane, they would you know be in charge of paying some of that cleanup fee. Um, so that's just you know one big you know what if what's next you know how do we get rid of all these boats because they're still in people's properties i had one guy uh tweet a photo of the boat in his backyard at me when this story posted on the nno's website so it's still a problem it's going to remain a problem until either we find the owners of the boats or you know maybe the homeowners have to pay for the boats to be removed but it's just you know it can cost i do believe 395 dollars per foot of boat to get it removed and brought to a salvage yard so it's costly could we at least just let the people whose yards they're in keep them i mean that's what the president was suggesting well, yes, was the president maybe he gets to keep the boat so that's um a little unclear as to what happens there are some arguing that 
you could keep the boat, um, but I don't necessarily think a lot of those people want the boats because um, they have other issues in their lives they need to deal with, like rebuilding their house or, you know, other hurricane-related things to deal with. Um, but yeah, the boat stays at least. So they're kind of it's a finder's keeper situation for now, I guess. <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, anything else that we expect out of session besides Florence relief and uh, voter ID and some of these other things that we've talked about? Or? I think another big thing with the Florence relief is just how much money the General Assembly is going to give to um, this this relief fund we've set up for uh, farmers. So uh, Agriculture Commissioner Steve Troxler has already said that he would like to have $250 million in agriculture relief for farmers to apply for. Um, and it, there's a lot of regulations in this because when he originally asked, they didn't really have the framework for this program written out. Uh, and now it's a little bit more cohesive. They figured out, you know, you can only apply for these crops and these things. Um, so that's a big what if is how much money will the state give to this agriculture relief fund? Because there were some bad taste in legislators' mouth at the $250 million. Um, so even Representative Jimmy Dixon, who is very pro-agriculture, very much wants to help the farmers out, he said, you know, we might not be able to give you all of this money, but we're going to give you something. So. And our colleague Richard Stradling uh, wrote about how Florence will affect your Thanksgiving dinner. So if you're wondering, uh, butterball turkeys are not probably going to be depleted because of this. But uh, if you like collard greens at your Thanksgiving sweet dinner, potatoes. sweet potatoes potentially, and sweet potatoes, they said they have enough for now, but it might they they might run Christmas, out. Christmas, it could uh, be a problem. Yeah, it could be a problem later in the year, early next year. Uh, but definitely collards and what else was there? Uh, oh, pecans. Yeah, yeah, pecans yeah. are going to have a shorter uh, season. Uh, because both of pecans Florence. and pe pecans are both going to have a shorter Whatever. season. Whatever. I'm from Minnesota. I don't know how to pronounce <laughs> half the things we say in this podcast. Um, I'm from Michigan, so it's, <laughs> I don't know why we would be have different words for pecans, but. Um, okay, so uh, some uh, some issues with some of the crops there. Um, the other thing is we've uh, now been, uh, it's been about, what, 10 days since the last time we podcasted, and we know a little bit more about some of the election results. Uh, so, uh, Colin, uh, what's still hanging out there? We've, we know that the uh, uh, supermajority, uh, Republican supermajority, has been broken in the House. We're pretty sure it's also been broken in the Senate. Um, but there is at least one recount uh, that's going to happen. So tell us a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, the one recount that we uh, know for sure is going to happen um, is in Mecklenburg County in the race between uh, Democrat Rachel Hunt, who is the daughter of former Governor Jim Hunt, um, and uh, incumbent Republican Representative Bill Brawley. Hunt had a, a fairly narrow lead after uh, the final votes were counted last week. Uh, Brawley has said he will seek a recount, uh, so we'll see if that uh, changes the outcome of that race. The other race that, uh, as we record this on Monday afternoon, is still a little bit up in the air, is in Cumberland County uh, between incumbent Republican Senator Wesley Meredith and Democrat Kirk DeVere. Or Devier, I'm not entirely sure how you pronounce his name, uh, but the uh, Democrat in that race does have a, a vote lead of several hundred votes at the end of counting, so unclear whether Meredith uh, seeks a recount, and if he does, it will be uh, sort of a long-shot recount. Um, but that race is the one that hinges on the Senate supermajority. Um, if Meredith were to manage to keep his seat, Republicans would still have a very narrow supermajority in the Senate, I think 21 or 22 seats. Um, out of uh, the Senate, um, 
but uh, if he ends up not keeping that seat and there's a Democrat in that seat, then there's not enough Republican votes in the Senate to override. Kind of a moot point once you have a uh, breaking of the supermajority in one chamber, it doesn't really matter if it's both chambers because uh, ultimately uh, all it takes is one chamber not overriding it for the bill to fail, um, but certainly gives Cooper a little bit more uh, wiggle room if uh, for some reason the uh, House manages to get some Democratic votes on board with an override and, uh, and perhaps he could work towards defeating something in the Senate. We also learned that uh, House Speaker Tim Moore and Senate Leader Phil Berger, although they're going to have somewhat smaller caucuses this year, um, are both going to run for re-election as uh, leaders. And uh, we also were told that um, both of the Democratic leaders are going to be uh, asking for their members to uh, re-elect them as leaders. Um, you guys hear any, hearing anything else about uh, anyone else running for uh, leadership positions that seems notable? Have not heard anything. Um, so we think, as far as we know, um, we'll have another two years of the, the same crew in charge over there. Uh, there will be some other positions that they'll carry over. Though I think the one to watch is who is the House lead budget writer since Nelson Dollar, who's had that position for several terms, uh, lost his reelection bid. So who do they put into that role? Um, and uh, we've, we've heard a few names bandied about, but haven't confirmed anything yet. I'm a retired school psychologist, and helping people was my thing. After my stroke, when Meals on Wheels started, I was on the other end of the stick, so to speak. My name is Julius Gaines, creative writer, poet, photographer. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. The other results, Colin, that you looked into uh, involve alcohol sales. And of course, in North Carolina, we have this sort of patchwork of uh, liquor laws around the state, dry counties, wet counties, although not so many totally dry counties anymore. Um, uh, but uh, liquor by the drink, no liquor by the drink. So what changed in this latest round of election? So we had, rates? I think, six or seven uh, towns and counties that had alcohol referendum. Um, some of those was uh, about li liquor by the drink, whether if you're a bar or a restaurant, you could have uh, a mixed drink or a shot of whiskey. Um, and there are a lot of, uh, that's probably the, the least common of the uh, alcohol laws in terms of how many places you can do that. That tends to be more controversial. But uh, as of uh, these election results being certified, uh, you'll be able to order a liquor drink in places like Longview, which is a suburb, suburb of Hickory, I learned when looking at a map. Uh, as well as Tabor City down by the South Carolina border if you're on your way to Myrtle Beach. Uh, some of the interesting ones I looked into more closely, one was uh, the town of Boiling Springs out in Cleveland County, west of Charlotte. Um, that was a completely dry town until uh, this month. Uh, now they've agreed to allow uh, beer and wine sales, uh, both in restaurants uh, as well as stores. And apparently that has been somewhat of a game changer for the town. 
which is best known for being a college town home to Gardner Webb University. Uh, there's already been plans to expand the grocery store because they need to make room for alcohol in the grocery store. Uh, a craft brewery has already voiced an interest in coming to the town. Some restaurants are looking at coming in. Um, and some of the folks there are pleased to know that the college students there are not going to be driving 20 or 30 minutes to go get a drink. Uh, they can just walk off of campus um, and drink if they're so inclined. Uh, the one place out of the ones that had uh, elections this time that didn't pass it uh, was Anson County, which was looking at uh, beer, wine, and mixed drinks in its unincorporated areas. Uh, right now, if you're in the county seat of Wadesboro, you can do all of these things. Once you go outside of Wadesboro, it's completely dry. Um, and this was one where the economic developers there uh, were pushing to get, get a little bit of the uh, Charlotte suburban growth with the new bypass opening up that made it easier to uh, get from the western end of that county into Charlotte. They were hoping to have uh, developers bring in homes and restaurants and hotels and things. Um, but now it looks like those developments will go on the other side of the county line uh, in Union County where you can get alcohol because uh, a bunch of churches banded together, uh, put up signs, and managed to defeat the alcohol referendum there. So overall... Uh, we're becoming a more friendly state for alcohol sales in out-of-the-way places, but there's still a few places where uh, people feel very strongly that uh, there should not be uh, additional alcohol sales. Headliner of the week. 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 Who's hot? We're back with more Domecast, and now it's time for Headliner of the Week, where we decide who the most important or influential person in this week's news is. Lauren Horsch, who's your Headliner of the Week? So, my Headliner has gone to the birds a little bit. Um, I took a trot over to the governor's mansion earlier today uh, for the inaugural gubernatorial turkey pardon. Um, this... I, from my understanding in my records, this is the first time a governor in North Carolina has pardoned two turkeys, and Governor Cooper did it earlier today. He pardoned Caroline and Sir Walter, who are two turkeys. Caroline weighed 28 pounds. Uh, Sir Walter weighed 48 pounds. Um, you know, they're not really that influential, but it's just kind of fun, kind of cool just to go over and see two birds that the first family can't actually adopt. Because as many of you... Um, and see politics fanatics now the coopers adopt a lot of animals they have a lot of pets um so there were of course a couple of good dad jokes about not allowing his daughters to adopt the turkeys and uh first lady Kristen cooper even you know when she got outside to look at the turkey she's like are you sure we can't adopt them like she said something like that um so it's just fun a little bit of you know light-hearted good fun on our thanksgiving week and you know Cooper got to tell some dad jokes, which we don't always get to hear from him because usually he's fighting with the General Assembly. So, Yes, here's a uh, story from Colin from early last year about the first pets of North Carolina. Dogs Ben and Chloe, cats Adelaide and Alexi, and the first mantis of yes. North Carolina, who well, I believe has just, since passed away. Yes, and they did just Winifred. adopt a stray cat. I forget the oh, new cat's right. name, but this cat wandered onto uh, the grounds of the governor's mansion and they adopted this new little cute kitten uh so two animals wandered onto the executive mansion grounds today that the coopers could not adopt um but these two turkeys will live out their lives on Naylor family farm which is in Fuquay Verena so they could just live happy wonderful lives all right so Caroline and Sir Walter are in the hat for headliner of the week Holland Campbell who's your headliner of the week 
I'm going with a fairly obscure election controversy, but an important one nonetheless, and that is the case of Buster Davis's missing ballot in Columbus County. This is according to the Tabor Loris Tribune. Uh, they're reporting about the uh, election counting down there. Um, and found out that uh, one of the uh, folks in their county who cast a provisional ballot on election day, uh, no one can find the ballot in order to count it. Uh, so this guy is not very thrilled that um, he's going to possibly not have his vote counted because someone on the election staff misplaced his ballot. Um, Apparently, the county finds that there is no clear explanation as to what happened to it, uh, but uh, Mr. Davis, uh, not happy about this, he says, quote, as a Marine Corps veteran who served tours in Iraq, you would think my vote would count. Uh, so for that unusual controversy, I'm going with uh, Buster Davis and the missing ballot in Columbus County. Apologies for the noise. Yeah. <laughs> not sure what's going on here in the NNO offices, but... Uh, Surprise! <laughs> we'll just continue. I've got to cut all this. <laughs> I mean, we can still go with your... Yeah, we'll still keep do that. Buster Davis again. Yeah, we don't need to make you do that again, but <laughs> I'll wait till they're... Okay. Buster. <laughs> all right. All right. Buster Davis in the... Buster Davis's missing ballot in the hat for headliner of the week. Will Doran, who's your headliner? Well, I would go for... Um, my headliner is actually someone whose name I don't super know how to pronounce. It's either Mark Elias or Mark Elias, the uh, Democratic super lawyer who is uh, always filing election-related lawsuits. Uh, earlier this month, uh, Mark filed a, uh, another lawsuit here in North Carolina challenging uh, the, uh, some of the legislative lines in state court and... Uh, Republicans were very fast to uh, rush to point out that the lawsuit just so happened to coincide with Anita Earls joining or becoming elected to the Supreme Court. Um, and obviously she campaigned on her dislike of gerrymandering. She is famous for cases that she has won getting North Carolina districts overturned for gerrymandering. So a lot of Republicans thought that this lawsuit was a little suspiciously timed with her coming to the state Supreme Court. Um, Democrats, on the other hand, will point out that this is, you know, kind of the a similar tactic as we've seen in federal courts. Uh, what happened in this case was the the state's legislative lines were ruled to be racial gerrymanders. They were thrown out, and in 2017, the legislature redrew them, and now they're being challenged as partisan gerrymanders. Uh, that's what we're seeing with the U.S. congressional lines that I referenced earlier, and. Uh, that might be headed to the Supreme Court soon. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens with these ones here. Uh, that might be yet even more redistricting that we're going to be doing in 2019. And then obviously 2020, we'll have our census. And then 2021, we're going to do it all over again and start the redistricting process anew. So but it just never ends. But aren't we always in a redistricting process in North Carolina? <laughs> I think that's... That's true. It's kind of like Groundhog Day here. It just <laughs> we can we can do as many podcasts as we want. We can hear as many stories as we want. There's always going to be lawsuits about the redistricting. All right, Mark Elias in the hat for headliner of the week. Is that the proper pronunciation? I have no idea. All right, well, Mark, if you're listening, yeah. uh, please let, let us, us know. know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think I'm going to go with Colin's choice of Buster Davis's missing ballot. Uh, he filled out the uh, provisional ballot, and uh, we reported early last week that there were actually 35,000 of these provisional ballots. Uh, many of them, of course, did count, 
Um, but uh, anytime uh, one of these is filled out, there's always some uncertainty. Um, so for uh, the folks who uh, had some uncertainty about whether their vote would count, uh, you are this week's headliner of the week. Uh, and that's it for Domecast. For Will Doran, Colin Campbell, and Lauren Horsch, I'm Jordan Schrader. Thanks for listening, and uh, have a happy Thanksgiving. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.